0: Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist and I'd like to welcome you to This Week in FCPA, episode 124 for the week ending October 12th, 2018. they bring on the SOX edition. First, a word from our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides professional independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitor is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in over 700 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit our sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com The reigning World Series champions Houston Astros storm into the ALCS with a sweep of Cleveland. The team with the best record in baseball, the Boston Red Sox, destroyed the New York Yankees. The American League Championship Series opens Saturday in Boston and comes to Houston on Tuesday. Will the top podcasting duo in compliance survive? Oh, and by the way, Jay and I take a look at some of the top weeks compliance and ethics stories. So what do we look at besides baseball? Well, what are the lessons from Stryker and Petrobras FCPA regarding customers? <clears throat> it really is about culture, as Mike Volkoff explains in the new ebook. Uh, an ex-wife of an ex-banker spends $21 million at Harrods. Jay asks, why wasn't she buying shoes in New Hampshire 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Jonathan Marks explains why four eyes is a good thing in your compliance program. Internal investigations may be more problematic now after uh, a court uh, look at them. It's a big week for U.S. sanctions. I took a look at uh, multiple stories by Sam Rubenfeld uh, from the Wall Street uh, Journal Risk and Compliance Report. The Voice of America fired for employees for taking bribes. I am pleased to announce a new compliance masterclass in New York on November 12 and 13, hosted by Jonathan Marks and Baker Tilley. We talk about the uh, NAVEX Global Virtual Conference, the release of my new podcast, The Opinion Release Papers, and the 2018 SCCE Compliance and Ethics Institute. I know you will enjoy this episode, and thank you for listening. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the Compliance Evangelist, back again for another episode of This Week in FCPA, joined by my good friend and colleague, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitors of Affiliated Monitors. So we are finally to the premier event, the AL Series Championship Series. So we have the reigning World Series champion, Houston Astros. We have the team with the best record in baseball, the Boston Red Sox, who absolutely annihilated their hated rivals the yankees uh the series opens saturday night in boston with chris sale against justin verlander i don't think you can get too much better than that um i suppose some compliance stories happened this week jay but have you been thinking about anything else i know i sure haven't
1: no i mean we've we've been uh hoping for this for the last six months or so so it's uh nice to see uh both are, are horses in the final race, and like you said, uh, when you get down to some October baseball and you get great pitchers and great offensive teams going up against each other like Houston and Boston, it, it's it should be a treat.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it. So with that, um, you want to uh, just maybe hop into a few compliance stories. Uh, we'll get in between us talking about baseball, no doubt. So, Jay, um, as you know, we had two um, FCPA enforcement actions, the Petrobras Enforcement Action, which is the largest in the history of the FCPA, and also Stryker, which is a uh, two-time loser and or recidivist, depending on your perspective. But what struck me, Jay, about these two cases is it really focused on the customers as part of the bribery scheme. And typically, uh, you don't think about that in your FCPA compliance program. You focus on the sales channel, whether that be your internal employees or third parties, uh, distributors, third-party commissioned agents, sales agents, uh, joint venture partners, strategic alliances, et cetera. But here we had the customers in on the on the fixed, so to speak, and it really got me thinking about compliance officers need to have visibility into contracts, contracting terms, and the commercial terms. So in the Petrobras case, what happened was there was a discount granted between 1% to 3% per contract, Uh, but that discount was not rebated to Petrobras. That discount was rerouted to Swiss bank accounts of corrupt government officials. And so clearly, there was a disconnect between uh, payment terms, uh, finance, and compliance, because the money was was routed out uh, not to the uh, person who had or the entity who had signed the customer. Second, in Stryker, this was a, a very different type of scheme, but it was essentially. Uh, fraud because the end-using customer, and here Stryker w- got into FCPA trouble on a recidivist basis in India, and among other places. In India, the sales model was a distributor model. Now, we've seen that in other FCPA cases, and the management risk management strategy has typically been to have a uniform range of discounts a distributor can offer. But here, Stryker took that management a step Further, because they actually uh, took over the negotiations for the distributors, so the distributors were given the price that they could sell to state-owned enterprises, basically healthcare providers. But the customer, the end-using customer, actually increased the price that they paid, or were rather were billed for—not they paid, but they were billed for—and they. Uh, Build then their end users, either hospital patients or insurers, the corrupt amount, the fraudulent amount, and kept the difference. So that's uh, perhaps not a bribery allegation in the FCPA, but certainly corruption. So, um, and it's unclear whether or not that benefited specific. Uh, employees of these state-owned enterprises. But it really got me thinking that compliance needs visibility into a much broader area than uh, we had previously considered, Jay.
1: One of the points you bring up, and I think this is in Stryker, was that even though the company had audit rights, they were never really enforced. So that's another problematic thing when you're trying to gauge the transparency and if you're dealing with a, a, a co-venture partner, that those audit rights are very key to help uh, enforce things and make sure you're running a clean operation.
0: So, Jay, next we had a, a really funny, uh, humorous, but very topically important ebook released by Mike Volkoff. He published it through Corporate Compliance Insights. And frankly, I thought of you and your former abode in Encino because the cover had a caveman, i.e. Encino man, on it. Um, and uh, with the title, uh, it's all about the culture, stupid. And I know that's something that uh, you and your affiliated monitors' colleagues talk about uh, quite a bit, uh, if not incessantly. And interestingly, at the Converge 18 event that I just got back from, uh, it was really about culture, institutional justice, fairness, courage and things that uh, typically uh, are not on the forefront of what people talk about when it comes to compliance. So it was very interested that Mike came out with this book. And I know, uh, as I said, that's something that uh, you and your colleagues talk about quite a bit. Any insights kind of from your perspective?
1: Well, I, I'm looking forward to reading the book. Uh, I was speaking to Maurice Skilbert earlier this week, and he said that uh, – It is just getting downloaded left and right. And, uh, you know, to your point, Tom, uh, when we are working with our clients that are affiliated, whether it's a a proactive engagement or an engagement that's responsive to some regulation, um, you know, part of the major part of what we're trying to help our client figure out is what is that culture that is permeating their enterprise And are there any possible weak links or controls or, you know, spots that they've kind of missed and that's permeating throughout the organization? But the key part, and it seems like week in and week out, we have stories about corporate instances when there's problems at the board or there's issues, me too issues or anything like that. Uh, There really uh, is a need to have that top-down culture, and if that uh, series of edicts is not really strongly uh, installed in that company, uh, that's one of the places where we tend to find breakdowns. So I'm definitely looking forward to reading Mike's book. Um, next up, you queued this article up just for me because you recall my days as a working shoe seller when I was uh, 13 years old in Manchester, New Hampshire. And the story that comes to us is not about Imelda Marcos, but a <laughs> London court has unsealed an unexplained wealth order, a UWO, that names the woman who spent 16 million pounds, about 21 million U.S. greenbacks at Harrods department store buying Cartier jewelry, wine, and other luxury goods. It's the UK's first use of UWO's the court ordered Zemira Hajiyeva. sorry I didn't hope to butcher her name that bad, to explain the source of the funds. She also bought a $15 million Knightsbridge home and a $14 million golf course in the state near Ascot. And uh, basically her husband is an individual named Jahanjir Hajajeva, who was the chairman of the International Bank of Azerbaijan, and in 2016, he was sentenced uh, in Azerjaban to 15 years in jail for fraud and embezzlement. So unexplained wealth orders allow U.S., U.K. enforcement officials to require politically exposed persons to explain their source of wealth or face assets for, for forfeitures. The UWO law came into force in January 31st of this year. So this is starting to um, start pardon me, starting to sound like uh, some of the schemes that we're seeing here in the US where laundered money is getting uh, invested in real estates and other hard assets. So um, this UWO, have have you heard about this before, Tom? Uh,
0: Yes, I'd heard about it. This is the first time that uh, I think it was actually put into effect. And Really, this story, Jay, uh, our first story, and, and I actually I may want to jump to uh, several stories about sanctions immediately after this. It really points out to something that uh, uh, I've been thinking about and now is really on the forefront. Um, I don't know if you were raised with this by, by word or phrase, but I was, which was, if the color of your money is green, you are good. And uh, that's really not true anymore. And you have to know. What the, what the source of that money is. Um, and this, this uh, UWO uh, issued in England, I think it's going to go a long way towards that. The, uh, that's really the lesson, uh, uh, one of the lessons from Stryker and, and Petrobras. Uh, I have to say I was very relieved that there were no coach purses found in this, although we don't know exactly the types of purses she bought uh, at Harrods, my sense is that coach being a, a more on the affordable scale, uh, than the, uh, the, the true top end, you know, perhaps uh, I won't have to worry about that. Or certainly my wife won't have to worry about that. But, uh, yeah, you know, where was she when the, uh, the Rosen shoe store was, uh, was, uh, open and, and I, I, you know, I have to ask the question, uh, did she ever visit, uh, the store, uh, and, you know, what did the president know and when did he know it? All very key questions for
1: you I, I i don't believe that at the time when I was gainfully employed there that Manchester New Hampshire was the cosmopolitan destination that it is today
0: you know that that's probably a probably a good point in um, um, as well but uh, yeah uh, um, spending twenty one million at harrod's uh, If you get your money, these are questions that uh, are going to become much more to the fore. And that really leads to um, a series of articles that Sam Rubenfeld uh, over at the uh, Wall Street Journal put out this week. And I really wanted to highlight – we've got several of them in the show notes, Jay. And uh, I haven't had a chance to ask Sam if it was just this – newsworthy week for sanctions, and uh, or if it was uh, something – I know Sam is interested in the Magnin- Magninsky Act. Um, I know I just butchered that. But um, there were several uh, sanctions orders issued uh, this week that Sam reported on. A uh, Turkish firm, uh, the SAI Falcon International Group, which operates in defense, energy, and food – according to its website, was sanctioned by the U.S. government for trading with North Korea. Obviously, that's a big no-no here in the United States, and we're all aware of it. But uh, here, a Turkish company. A second was a uh, Lebanese banker or businessman uh, was believed to have ties to Hezbollah, and he was put on the sanctions list of Mohammed Abdullah Al-Amin for concealing money for Adman Hussein, Tabajah, uh, who is alleged to have ties to senior Hezbollah leadership, uh, and this was making funds available. So that was number two. Number three is something that uh, is, I think, much more disturbing uh, and is certainly in the, in the news uh, in many ways today in many places, which is the alleged assassination of a Saudi Arabian journalist who was also uh, a columnist for the uh, Washington Post, Mr. Um, Jamal Khashoggi, uh, went into a uh, is alleged to have gone into a Saudi embassy in Turkey to obtain uh, paperwork to get a marriage license, and he never returned. And the allegations are that he was uh, assassinated in the embassy, and his body was cut up and taken out. And now uh, U.S. senators uh, want uh, the president or at least the administration to um, investigate this. The uh, it was a pretty stunning letter of every senator on the Foreign Relations Committee except Rand Paul uh, signed the letter, and it's involving the Nagitsky. Ne- Act. Magnitsky. yes. Thank you. Uh, so the president under the law has 120 days to report uh, findings of uh, investigation where there are human rights abuses, and you know, cutting somebody up probably qualifies as a human right abuse. So uh, kudos to Sam. We've also got a uh, standard charter uh, was fined uh, $5 million uh, to sell allegations of violations of both uh, sanctions and money laundering. Uh, interestingly, in a different twist uh, reported on the BBC online, uh, BP got a, a license to operate a gas field in the North Sea, which is actually owned by the Iranians. So um, really uh, economic sanctions and uh Money laundering are, in a very big way, uh, stories this week. And, Jay, for for me, the takeaway is that a compliance practitioner needs to start looking at money laundering. They need to be aware of sanctions. They need to start asking questions. They need to start asking, who is buying our stuff? Where is their money coming from? Is our biggest customer uh, a company unrelated to our industry or a newcomer to our industry in Russia, Russia? Uh, Middle East or some other country that might be viewed as high risk. So uh, lots of good stuff uh, out there. But more importantly, and the message I would try to communicate to our listeners is uh, if you're an anti-corruption compliance practitioner, you need to start paying attention to these other issues.
1: Absolutely. Um, Let's see. So we went through all the sanctions stuff. So now we have uh, an article that comes to us from Harry Casson. At um, the FCPA blog and the Voice of America, uh, and this is a, a pro democratic service that's operated by the United States government, uh, said that it intends to remove 15 members of an African language service after an investigation found that the individuals had accepted improper payments from foreign officials from West Africa. Uh, It doesn't seem that any of the reporting was compromised, but just the uh, fact that these uh, members of the House of Service, which is a certain dialect that is spoken by 63 million people, most of them living in Nigeria and Niger, um, you know there there was just this impropriety of the brides being offered so i, I think again this falls into the um i i guess cornucopia of different situations that we've just spoken about in the last 10 to 15 minutes about you really got to know um who your clients are who your customers are and um you know your um the, the, basically, the business that you run can definitely be affected by any type of uh, politically exposed people that you come into contact with. I guess one non... Um a uh, non-article, not, not a non-article, but one article that isn't following that trend is something that our friend uh, Jonathan Marks came up with. And uh, Tom, I know you occasionally um, put some spot, spectacles on, and I like wearing glasses, but why don't you tell us how Jonathan gives a positive uh, connotation to the word four eyes?
0: Well, uh, first of all, let's start with this is not the vanity is hell proposition. Uh, so this is not someone of a certain age who really needs uh, glasses to be able to see things. And I was intrigued. I was somewhere. Uh, I was at a restaurant uh, at uh, after at a Converge uh, one evening after the Converge concerts, con um, event.
1: Concert. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. They actually had a the a School of Rock from Denver play, so we had a little concert. But um, the um, you could tell the uh, older members. Uh, of the uh, dining group as they were moving the menus uh, in and out to try to get the correct zone where they could focus on uh, the language. So I thought that was uh, interesting. But uh, here, Jonathan, in a a really cute piece entitled uh, FCPA Cash Bribes and the Four I Principles, and he uses that to illustrate that you you need to put a second set of eyes on uh, your uh, Several areas: your sales cycle, your supply chain cycle, and your cash and funds. And and he uh, he uses terms that compliance practitioners need to start thinking about, which is your sales cycle quote to cash, and your supply chain procure to pay, because those are going to be the areas where uh, you have to follow the money. Because uh, you have to have money somewhere to pay a bribe, or if you're being defrauded, money's being bl- bled out of your organization. So put a second set of eyes on it. Uh, we didn't get it in the show notes. But today, Mike Volkoff wrote about a high-risk compliance committee where uh, yet another compliance committee would put a second set of eyes on it. Uh, This is not a bureaucratic nightmare. This is a, a risk management strategy and process improvement technique that every compliance practitioner needs to be aware of and needs to consider. So uh, take a look at it. It's a pretty short article by Jonathan, but the four eyes principle, uh, even notes was mentioned by the Department of Justice in the Petrobras matter. So obviously, regulators think it's a sound concept, too. Uh, I would call it a second set of eyes, but uh, if we want to go back to uh, when we were both younger and, and people with glasses were called four eyes, uh, that's absolutely right and it's what's absolutely needed. So uh, kudos to Jonathan on his article. Uh, We also had, um, I'm not sure I'd use the word troubling, Jay, but a very important case that needs watching. Um, And it involves internal investigations and their use in a criminal proceeding. You want to tell us about that?
1: Sure. So this um, article comes to us from Law 360 from Stuart Bishop. And a New York federal judge signaled Friday that the LIBOR rigging trial against two former Deutsche Bank traders, Matthew Connolly and Gavin Black, may be in trouble in light of some, quote, highly persuasive, unquote, evidence uh, concerning the government's role in an internal investigation of the bank by its outside counsel, Paul Weiss, Rifkin, Wharton, and Garrison. And this sounds... um. Very much familiar to a story we discussed last week, which was uh, concerning um, the SFO and UK Bribery Act and how um, information that actually uh, the relationship of privileged information was being used against the defendant. And this is a a similar situation here where they are looking at – I guess, some settled law before that talks about whether or not information that is given as part of an internal investigation can be used um, to bring uh, charges against uh, defendants. So, um, Tom, can you go into the legalese here about how this is uh, coming to play in this matter?
0: Sure. Uh, So there's a concept called compelled testimony and compelled testimony is when you have to give testimony. Uh, to a uh, internal investigation, a regulator, or a, a government, or you know, a prosecutor, compelled testimony cannot be used against you for the very reason it was compelled. Clearly, in the criminal context, you have a right to remain silent. You have the right to have counsel present. And all of the things that we grew up with uh, from every crime show from 1964 forward when they read the Miranda warning to arrested criminals. That is not present in uh, a civil investigation. That's not present in an internal investigation in a company. And here we had the internal investigators who were decidedly not Department of Justice prosecutors or Department of Justice lawyers, they were private practice lawyers brought in by the company to do their internal investigation. But the catch was that the internal investigation was not only approved by the Department of Justice, but the individuals who were interviewed were selected or approved by the Department of Justice. And the judge found that very persuasive. Now, the company had a policy, you either Cooperate with the internal investigation and give a, a, a truthful answers in your Q and A, or you're terminated. Well, that's enough to fall under compelled um, testimony doctrine. And Jay, if you take that concept maybe a step further or two, I would I would argue I could argue, or I could certainly see it argued that every internal investigation, if not directed by the Department of Justice, is approved by the Department of Justice. Because if you talk to any a compliance practitioner who does internal investigations uh, in the SCPA space, company makes self-disclosure, they present an initial or proposed investigation protocol to the Department of Justice for its consideration and review, uh, and a proposed remediation at some point. So it's an active partnership going forward, but if that is going to be enough to um, invoke uh, the government in, requiring compelled testimony, uh, that could be a serious handicap for the government if it wants to use that internal, same internal investigation, uh, at trial. And that's the situation we have here. So, um, I think it's going to make things, I don't, I don't know if problematic is the right word, but certainly more difficult. And people are going to have to think through this because if you do have government oversight, or, or I guess it, the question would be: At what point does gover- government oversight uh, uh, invoke compelled testimony? Some are going to argue, and if I were defending someone, I would certainly argue that the minute you turn over your investigation protocol to the government and it's approved, it proves it. Uh, if it has gotten any way, shape, or form, someone uh, you represent or someone uh, a description of a category of people you represent that could be compelled testimony. So this could be very, very difficult. Make it very difficult for. The department to pursue individuals, not the corporation, but pr- pursue individuals with the information on earth in an internal investigation. And unfortunately, now that's uh, the majority of the evidence that the Department of Justice uh, is using on these um, criminal convictions or criminal prosecutions per the Yates memo. So where a company has to turn over all information. Uh, about culpable individuals. So I'm not sure there we have an answer for our audience, Jay, but we do have some pretty significant questions that people need to think about.
1: So would you think, Tom, with there having been a dearth of legal precedent with FCPA matters, does this open up a door now for more individuals to start um, resisting suits brought against them by the DOJ and the SEC?
0: Uh, I would certainly uh, say it gives them another avenue to to attack the investigative findings, and if the investigative findings are the basis of the criminal action, uh, that could be proof fatal to a criminal um, prosecution. Now, uh, I think it would be, uh, you know, if the, if the Department of Justice took over the investigation and did it directly, that's a horse of a different color, uh, because then it's a criminal investigation. Or if the DOJ went over and interviewed these people. Uh, based upon the initial uh, interviews, that might get uh, the uh, the department around this but uh, outsourcing your internal investigation uh, outsourcing the criminal investigation rather through the auspices of a company's internal investigation it could be very problematic if individuals want to raise this uh, going forward
1: yeah we we definitely need to keep our eye on this um, so we are through the news. Uh, tell us what you've got coming up in New York City, and then you and I can talk about uh, where we're going to be next weekend and what we're going to be doing.
0: So on November 12 and 13, I'm having another Compliance Masterclass, and it's going to be hosted by Baker Tilly and Jonathan Marks. Uh, hopefully, if you're in New York and you want to really take what I think is the top training class to fully operationalize your compliance program, this would be the class for you. I've got links to the show in the show notes to registration. If you'd like some more information, just shoot me an email. I'm happy to share uh, the agenda and the description of the class uh, for you or to you rather. Um, the um, before we get to the SECE uh, Compliance and Ethics Institute, I did want to highlight some uh, a conference that was announced yesterday, Jay, which is the Navex Global Virtual Conference. Uh, It's going to be held in uh, November, I think, November 15th, but I may have that date wrong. Uh, But if you don't have a travel budget and you want to attend one of the top compliance conferences around, uh, go ahead and uh, check out the NAVEX Global Virtual Conference. Uh, Matt Kelly's, uh, I think, playing a pretty big part in putting it together, and uh, I'm certainly going to help him out, but they've got a a great list of speakers. So we've got, uh, once again, that link to the show notes and Really, that gets us to the SCCE 2018 and, compliance. And,
1: and just to give you that right date, it's November 8th for the Navix. Oh, thank you. So you're welcome.
0: Um, you and I are both going to be at the SCCE. Uh, you want to tell us about the orphans dinner?
1: Yeah. So this started unofficially maybe three or four years ago with myself and Samantha Kellum of Kellum from uh, Duke Energy. And since we didn't really know anybody there at the SCCE and we were newbies, uh, we got together and had dinner on the Saturday night before the conference started. And last year, we kind of uh, memorialized this and had our first orphans dinner. And we had about 16 folks. And we have 14 people signed up now. And it's going to be uh, Dutch Treat at Rouse, which is uh, – a famous Italian eatery from New York. This is their branch in Vegas at Caesars Palace. Uh, The event starts at 7 p.m., and we're going to link to that in the show notes. So uh, if you'd like to come and meet some folks the night before and just kind of start your conference experience off and have some folks that you'll know uh, throughout the week, uh, please either reach out to me or Samantha via email, and we'll uh, get you on the list and see you next Saturday night. And then, uh, Tom, what are you going to be uh, speaking at during the conference?
0: So Sunday afternoon, together with uh, Matt Ellis and Carlos Ayers from Sao Paulo, we're going to talk about compliance, investigations, and uh, everything that's going on in Latin America. Really focus on uh, two, two or three parts. One is the uh, absolute uh, number of new anti-corruption legislation that is permeating Uh, the um, Latin American continent. We're going to talk about some open and active investigations. We're going to talk about how you, uh, uh, as Carlos would say, tropicalize your compliance program so that uh, you can really tailor it for the Latin American audience. Matt Ellis has written a great book, Specifically on this topic, so he's a probably the top resource around on it, and and I'm certainly going to draw from his book in my presentation. But he'll be there live, so uh, can't do much better than that. And then uh, Monday morning, I'm having I'm extraordinarily pleased to have a, a session with uh, Matt Kelly, our colleague. And we're going to talk about AI and compliance, and uh, the uh, that was a big topic at Converge 18. So I've got uh, some some really up very up to the date information. Uh, about companies that are using AI, and in conjunction with uh, what we talked about earlier, Jay and the striker and Petrobras, uh, FCPA enforcement actions, I think it really points to the need for having a much more comprehensive overview by compliance practitioners of the uh, whole, as Jonathan uh, Marks would say, the quote, cash cycle and procure to pay. So uh, that's on Monday morning. Uh, What are you speaking about and when are you speaking?
1: Good question. I am doing a new advanced discussion group that I initially had put together with Mary Shirley from Fresenius, but she got chosen to do another panel, and it's called uh, Advanced Discussion Group, Secrets from In-House Ethics and Compliance Buyers, How to Keep the Gate in Your Sanity. And I'll be speaking on Tuesday from 1 to 2 p.m., And um, for those folks who haven't done an advanced uh, discussion group, uh, it's the first 50 people who show up or who are allowed to come on in the room. And it's really an opportunity for you to have a a frank and open discussion with other uh, ethics and compliance folks. And what we're going to specifically look at is the question of, you know, how do you get your information about, Uh, Where the new solutions are coming from the different vendors in the space and, you know, throughout the different conferences we go to, there is various levels of um, interaction and openness that the uh, conferences tend to have. And while they love to have the vendors, uh, you know, pay for the happy hours and give out tchotchkes sometimes those vendors are are not really allowed into the room to kind of share their knowledge and best practices. So I kind of look forward to um, moderating this session. We're going to have in-house folks and we're also going to have some folks from the vendor community. And I guess when you look at it, even yourself and, set affiliated monitors although we specialize in certain things from our clients perspectives we are their vendors so uh, I'm looking forward to leading this one and then my colleague uh, Eric Feldman will also be speaking along with Tom Topolowski uh, and they're going to talk about the uh, experience of uh, affiliated monitors uh, being the monitors on a recent DPA that they worked on together
0: Uh, Jay, I hope you were able to catch my new uh, podcast series this week, the opinion release papers, uh, where I talked about the FCPA opinion release. Uh, I did uh, five of them this week. So if you want to uh, learn about the opinion release procedure and uh, what the Department of Justice has given us from guidance, this is a podcast series for you. So I hope uh, people will check that out as well.
1: And is that now going to be a monthly happening or what's the plan on that one?
0: Uh, it will be a happening.
1: Oh, but I mean, it's, it's going to be a recurring
0: a recurring series. Yep. Yeah. We're, I'm going to go cool. through all of the opinion release uh, releases uh, in the life of the F- FCPA.
1: All right. So um, I think we're now at the most important item number 12, which is the base off baseball playoffs. So let's uh, let's frame this correctly. What was it? Two, two and a half years ago, you were not on the um, the bandwagon for the Astros, and now you are knocking at the door to, to be repeating as world champion. Is that correct?
0: Uh, no, it's not correct. Uh, I wasn't on the ba- bandwagon uh, one year ago, and I didn't get on the bandwagon until – The Astros uh, reached the ALCS last year. So I will accept the Fairweather fan role, but I have now fully embraced uh, the Houston Astros as world champions. Uh, For anyone out there who wants to take me on, I'm predicting a back-to-back. I may even go sweep, but uh, may not be there yet. So how are you Sweep for the World
1: Series or or sweeps for the ALCS? Yes. 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 So there.
0: So now, Jay, for those who may not be as big a baseball fans as you and I are, you have endured or had endured the second longest uh, streak of not winning World Series. And even more than the um, lovable Cubbies, I think that um, guilt and tragedy were were two words that come to mind when – the Red Sox up until they came through in 2004, and it seems to me that still informs a lot of your views of the uh, of the Red Sox, and certainly a lot of your colleagues. So, uh, do you believe, or do you waiting to see?
1: Um, after uh, the way things turned out against the Bombers, I think I'm starting to believe. I'm I'm believing that um, that the Yankees manager, Bob Boone, is it Bob Boone or no, it's Aaron bleepin boom. Uh, <laughs> right. Aaron Boone. He uh, left his starters in a little bit too long, which helped us out. And um, I like the fact that our manager, AC Alex Cora was the bench coast in um, Houston last year. And he's been kind of um, non-conventional with using his, uh, starters when uh he needs uh, an inning in the bullpen so i think uh it's gonna you know definitely come down to the matchups i think uh the first matchup between verlander and sale is going to be awesome uh, i don't buy into our number two david price so i'm worried about that and we need to let you guys win about at least one game. And I think you and I are trying to have dinner in Vegas for game seven. So I think we would like it to go the distance, even though you think it might be four and out. Uh, But I definitely do believe, I think there's something um, special about this team and and they're going to, they're going to go out there and give it their best.
0: Well, I really hate to inform you, but we're going to be watching uh, one of the world series games on that Monday. And it's going to be the Astros in the World Series, uh, I really don't care if it's the Dodgers or Brewers, uh, but uh, uh, we have to nod to uh, Adam Turtle Bob Tur- uh, about Turtle, uh, top. The, Turtle Top. Sorry, Adam, about the uh, his Dodgers and uh, the pain he went through last year. Uh, so perhaps uh, we'll sweep them, but uh, I'm happy to sweep the Brewers. I'm happy to sweep anybody. So,
1: uh, but, um, but you're, you're telling me that's it's not going to be Game Seven of the alcs it's not slated for that sunday uh
0: what i'm saying is the astros will have won by then and there will be no game seven
1: just giving you um a tough time my fair red fair weathered friend uh anything else you want to talk about Uh, any problems with the rockets yet
0: not yet but uh you know it's early so we can save that one for a later day So if you're not, uh, if you didn't know, the first two games are uh, Sunday, excuse me, Saturday night, Sunday night. Uh, uh, Mrs. Compliance Evangelist and myself are going to game three. So uh, we're looking forward to that on Tuesday night in Houston. And then, of course, on Wednesday when the Astros close it out with their 4-0 sweep. With that, on that note, you want to take us home?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) On behalf of Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist and fair weather Houston Astros fan, and myself, Jay Rosen, Mr. Monitor, longtime suffering chowderhead Patriots and Red Sox fan. We'd like to thank you for joining us for this week in FCPA episode 124 for the week ending October 12th, 2018, the Bring on the Sox edition. Uh, we'd like to thank you for joining us as you do every week and hearing about the latest stories and ethics and compliance. And uh, we wish you all a great weekend. And since I have the last word, go Stocks.
0: Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of This Week in FCPA. If you have any questions, you can email me at tfox@tfoxlaw.com. at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Jay at jrosen@affiliatedmonitors.com. at affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you will watch the Astros-Red Sox series and certainly pull for Houston. And I hope you will join us again next week when Jay and I get together, probably razz each other as the Astros are, have will have swept the Red Sox by then, and report on the week's top ethics and compliance stories. This Week in FCPA is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network.